Then you get on to the main card, and it starts with a heavyweight matchup with former NFL player and wife beater Greg Hardy. <laughs> and uh, so... You're listening to Unscripted with Mike and Chris, brutally honest sports talk. And now, here is Mike Jansen. And as we start the uh, journey to 1,000 episodes of Unscripted, Mike Jansen, Chris Fluke with you. A lot of things to talk about as we're on now on the back nine of reaching our goal of 1,000 episodes of our little program here in episode 501. A lot of things to talk about. The NBA is opening up their doors, but doesn't seem like a lot of people are really rampaging to get into those doors right now. Uh, Chris just told me that the province of Ontario is allowing teams to get back into their practice facilities as early as today. So we're seeing that proverbial light at the end of the tunnel. But the big news for us anyway, Chris and I today, is the announcement on Thursday night of the 2020 National Football League schedule. And we'll certainly talk about that. But as much as I appreciate and understand now why the NFL went ahead as scheduled with the draft at the time slot that they did, and obviously they were rewarded with some of the best numbers ever. I do think it's a bit much to introduce the schedule and it took three freaking hours. That was a bit much. I mean, come on. That was a bit much. I really don't care what the Los Angeles Chargers schedule is. You know me. I want to know what the Packers schedule is. I know I want to know what the Vikings schedule is. I know I want to know what the Bears schedule is. Th- those important things. To Sean Nichols, I don't I totally respect you, but I don't care about the Detroit Lions schedule. But Three hours, a bit much. A little overkill there, uh, Mrs. Goodell, but unbelievable. And I've got to start. I've, I've got to start. Come on now. Come on. And this is also in respect to the chairman of the board here at Unscripted, and that's Mrs. Martina Fluke. You couldn't come up with a better game to open the 101st season of the National Football League. I get Kansas City, but the Houston Texans? My God, butt chin on opening day, that's too much. There isn't another team that you could have slid into that position. If in week three you have the Chiefs and Ravens, why can't you make the Chiefs and Ravens in week one in Kansas City? Now I know the game in in week three will be in Baltimore. That's probably the reason right there. But still, you couldn't find a better team to match up the defending Super Bowl champions or one that... Here on Unscripted, we'd like to see a lot better, almost any other team, than the Houston fucking Texans. Can't stand them. So I have an issue with that. Butt chin to open the 101st season. My God. Shitty coach, even worse general manager. And the team might have trouble this year, in my opinion, taking third place in what I now think is the worst division in the National Football League, the AFC South. And right off the top of my head, without even going to the schedule, if the Indianapolis Colts, barring injuries, if the Indianapolis Colts don't win the AFC South, Frank Wright should lose his job. I mean, it's just, come on. That's eerily similar to me than what Tom Brady and Bill Belichick have been dealing with the last 20 years with the AFC least, otherwise known as the AFC East. That AFC South 
is pathetic outside of Indianapolis, in my opinion. You know what the funny thing is, is that the AFC South, you could make the case this year is actually stronger than a lot of times over the last decade, how it's been, because it's been so bad for so long. Agreed. And Indy looks really good on paper this year. And the Tennessee Titans are a tough team. True. And you're, you're absolutely right. But... I'm the reason, and I, I don't, I don't, you know, I think as our Vancouver bureau chief realized last week, with all respect to a very brilliant man, Sean Dode, I respect the hell out of him, but I don't really take anything lightly, very passionate about this stuff. And I know that what I just said, I didn't just say that to be, you know, coy or cool or whatever. Tennessee's a very good football team. No question. But they still have a huge question at quarterback. Can Ryan Tannehill do what he did at the end of last year when he took over as a starter and led him to the playoffs and they got the big win in New England and yada, yada, yada. But can you expect that two years in a row out of Ryan Tannehill? And I think that's the biggest question. You know what Derrick Henry brings. You know what that football team brings. But God damn it, can you trust Ryan Tannehill two years in a row? I know that the Titans have shown that trust in him with the three-year contract extension, but my God, if I was a Titans fan, and I know the chairman of the board is a Titans fan, but that's got to scare you a little bit because he doesn't have a proven track record. He does not have a consistent proven track record. And my God, if the Tennessee Titans lose Derrick Henry to an injury, they're fucked. Yeah, the thing is with the Tennessee Titans, who, uh, you know, I know all the teams, I think, pretty well, but I especially know them now because of my wife hopping Chairman on board. Chairman of the board. board. Yeah, that's right. So with the Tennessee Titans, I'm not too worried because they don't need Ryan Tannehill, despite the ridiculously overinflated contract right. that w- it just makes no sense whatsoever. They don't need Ryan Tannehill to be Aaron Rodgers. They need Ryan Tannehill to be Trent Dilfer. And Good point. maybe yep. slightly yep. better than that, but they don't need him to do much. And he's got this excellent new weapon, AJ Brown, who is yep. just fantastic. Uh, he helped me win fantasy football leagues. He probably helped me win two or three leagues last year, picking him up late in the year. And he was just a beast. His connection with Tannehill was fantastic. Johnu Smith seems okay as the future starting tight end there. And, you know, they just seem to have they're just good enough on offense they have a pretty tough offensive line they have the punishing running style of Derrick Henry and then on defense they have a really disruptive defensive line with a very dynamic secondary Mm -hmm. and you have guys like Adore Jackson and Kevin Byard back there it's a really neat combination for a team on offense it's almost like an old-time team yeah oh absolutely they just want to it's going back to the 70s Sorry, but it goes back to the 70s of the three yards and a cloud of dust. Three yards and a cloud of dust. Yeah. and Run, run, yeah. run, and then play defense. Yeah, ex- absolutely. And uh, very exciting defense as well, too, a lot of the time. I so think that's the way one. the Green Bay Packers are going, unfortunately. That connectivity to Matt LaFleur from his years in Tennessee with Derrick Henry, unfortunately, I think that's the way the Green Bay Packers are going. And we have a much better quarterback, even at 36 years of age, than Ryan Tannehill. I just don't think the Green Bay Packers even know exactly what they're doing. You're right. Clearly, LaFleur and Gutekunst have to have... They have to think they know what they're doing, but, I mean, I don't know if I'll ever get over this. Drafting a quarterback in the first (laughs) round and a running back in the second round is... and, And it wasn't just you or me. I mean, universally online, it was just... 
I, 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 there's lots of YouTube videos where you, you have live shots of Packers while they were watching the pick come in and just of Packers fans in disbelief and just what is, and it's funny because a lot of them actually, and I don't know why, but a lot of them that I saw were actually saying, if this is Jordan Love, this will be ridiculous because they were hearing there was a little bit of a leak about that and, mm-hmm. but they weren't really believing it. And then I saw one guy who freaked out about that and then he freaked out even more when they take a running back in the second round. Cause unless you're taking, you know, the, unless you've cloned Barry Sanders or Jim Brown, uh, you're not taking a running back in Green Bay. That is the absolute last thing you need. Uh, you have Aaron Jones, who is almost as good as anybody. And you have Jamali Williams as a nice compliment to him, who is the better run blocker and yeah. can actually fill in quite nicely. And whenever Aaron Jones would be hurt or benched at all, I mean, Jamal Williams would fill in quite well. And this is just, again, I explained it on episode 500. It's like Allison Redford thinking she's just going to preside forever over Alberta and just have her own palace in the sky. And that's what Gutekunst and Lafleur think. They think they're going to have this team forever. And they think they're going to just... They, I think they're taking their wins for granted right now. They yeah. think that Aaron's is going to get them win. They're going to be good enough. They're going to make NFC Championship games until their guys are ready. And then they're going to bring in Jordan Love and A.J. Dillon. And they're going to be just you know the future of the league for 15 years and they're gonna look like geniuses and they're gonna be running the Packers till they're 75 and none of it makes any sense and I wonder what Mark Murphy thinks at this point and is he going to do anything because it's up to him to fire these guys at some point right so I wonder what he's thinking because I know the feedback in Green Bay hasn't been good I I imagine you have some feedback from the ground in um, Wisconsin we're gonna have uh, a special guest here I think pretty soon uh, from Green Bay, and um, he's going to give us the the uh, barometer, the temperature in Green Bay. And I can tell you right now, the seats under Messrs. Lafleur and Gutekunst just got a lot hotter. Yeah, imagine if they don't have a good season this year, and if Aaron Rodgers isn't particularly motivated to do well for them, if Aaron Jones isn't particularly motivated, other than to showcase himself for another team. Aaron Rodgers, it was reported, was that last year or the year before, uh, when he, well, it must have been the year before, one of the last games with McCarthy, wasn't it the game against Arizona, when a lot of people said that Aaron Rodgers wasn't really trying and kind of wanted to lose? Yeah, that was the December lose? 2nd game when yeah. McCarthy got fired 40 minutes after the conclusion yeah, of the yeah, game. Yeah, it's like, I think that's kind of what Aaron Rodgers wanted. So Aaron Rodgers is not above sacrificing a game no to put pressure on guys that he thinks are bad and I don't think he's ever been impressed with any coach or management or really anything he's ever had to deal with and I think he's sick of it and both Aaron's could be gone Aaron Rodgers he his contract is made in such a way that I think he'd have to be with the Packers for at least two at least two more years to for it to be not ridiculous to get rid of him early correct unless it was just a pure trade if you did a pure trade, right? Well, you then there'd be, but there'd be like a hundred and some million dollars of dead money on their cap if they trade Even with him. A trade? Yes, uh, I don't like that rule. If that's, they, that's... if within the first two years, like there's built-in things in there, yeah. but there's there's over a hundred million dollars of dead money if the Packers trade him before these first two seasons. That just doesn't make any sense. Like to me, if you trade someone and the other team is willing they to should take, take on, on that, yeah. yeah. I mean, you can do something with like retained salary, which sure. is very common in the NHL, for example. Absolutely. But if the other team says, "Yeah, we're willing to take on the contract as is," there's no reason to have dead money. That's stupid. It's 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 exactly right. It's 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 um, 
But, you know, this is funny. I will give you a little teaser here. I've been talking to Green Bay, obviously, a lot this week with trying to figure out what we're doing with my father. And and, uh, that's still an ongoing soap opera, and I won't bore you with that. But you know what scares Packer fans right now? More than Aaron Rodgers showing up in a Bears jersey or a Vikings jersey someday? You'll find this funny. A lot of people in Green Bay are really concerned for some reason that they think that Aaron Rodgers might end up someday in Dallas with Mike McCarthy again. I don't see that at all. Well, and you know what? I don't think the relationship was as bad as people think. But I'm telling you, man, you got to like the weapons that they have in Dallas a lot better than the weapons that Rodgers currently has to work with in Green Bay. Um, Let's get off this Rodgers thing because we could go on forever and you and I... Just, uh, you know, very similar thinking, and I just think this, but the draft was three weeks ago, and we've got to learn to live with it, but I'm not, it's it's not going to be easy to do so. Let's take a look, and I want your opinion on some of these bigger games that came out uh, from this t- uh, three-hour marathon session of, of introducing uh, the football fans of the world to the 2020 season schedule. I've got a couple of games here that I'm really looking forward to, and I'd like your opinion on them from um, what uh, I was able to figure out from the release of the schedule on Thursday night. A couple of games I'm really looking forward to. Week number 15, I wish that this game could have been played a little bit earlier, but I think this really could be one of the great games. And again, week 15, you're always worried at this point about who's healthy and who's not. Injuries play a play a role every week of the schedule, folks. But week 15, the Kansas City Chiefs visit New Orleans to take on the Saints. Two potential teams for Super Bowl 55. Patrick Mahomes versus Drew Brees. Andy Reid calling plays versus Sean Payton calling plays for the New Orleans Saints. I think that's going to be a potentially a hell of a game. I'll give you a couple more and then I'll let you go. Week number three, also involving the Kansas City Chiefs, and they will be playing in Baltimore against the Ravens. They played last year, and it was a really good game. This year could be just as good or even better. I mean, you've got Mahomes, you've got Jackson, you've got that unbelievable Baltimore defense that has been improved with some really good trades and an unbelievable... Uh, how did they get Patrick Queen at 20-whatever, or 31 or whatever they did? Unbelievable job there. And uh, week number one is going to be obviously very interesting. For the first time, probably in 20 years, Tom Brady is not favored Week one, as his new team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, travel to New Orleans to take on the Saints, the first installment of Tom Brady versus Drew Brees. And again, for the first time in 19 years, on opening week, Tom Brady, his team is not favored in week one. That's kind of weird. But those are some of the some of them. I mean, there's a ton of games. But those are some of them that stood out to me. Chiefs and Saints, Chiefs and Ravens, Buccaneers at Saints. I think there's a theme here. And uh, before I hand over the mic to the boss, um, one game I thought would make prime time just because these two have not been able to hook up because of being in different conferences. But I really thought, truly thought, that the Tampa Bay-Green Bay game, just because of Rodgers versus Brady, would make it in prime time somewhere. But it did not. It is the afternoon, the late national game on Sunday afternoon on the weekend that the Packers and Saints, excuse me, the Packers and Buccaneers play in Tampa. But I was kind of surprised that that one didn't make a primetime schedule. 
I actually think that might turn out to be fairly prescient because I think both of those teams are going to underperform this year, mm-hmm. right? And so especially let's talk about Tampa Bay here. There is no precedent for a 43-year-old quarterback having a great season. And there's there's no precedent for a quarterback playing with the same coach and everything for 20 years and doing great and all of a sudden, all of a sudden having to change, even though Bruce Arians is a great coach. But Brady's old. He's playing with all new guys except for Gronk, but Gronk looked like crap last time we saw him two years ago. Now he's skinny and has had a year off. Brady is getting older and didn't look that great last year either. Godwin, I was amazing last year as predicted, but uh, you'd have to think he would regress at least a little bit. Mike Evans has been around seemingly forever, and uh, I don't know, maybe he won't gel that well. I think that O.J. Howard and Cameron Brait are going to feel a bit marginalized and probably underutilized there. And so that could really hurt the locker room. Speaking of the locker room, it's going to be just all these new personalities and these new guys, these old guys are supposed to come in and save you. It just, it's really bizarre. I think that the New Orleans Saints are going to kick the shit out of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in week one, especially in the Superdome. And I just, I, I could see by the time that, what to eat, what week is that? Tampa and Green Bay? Do you know? Tampa and Green Bay. Later in the year? Yeah, week nine or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like I could see, like, yeah, okay. The, no matter what the records are, the networks will be happy to market Brady versus a Rodgers. But I just don't know that there will be that much on the line, even at that point, necessarily. So that will be interesting. The neat thing I thought, because I mostly just, you know, zero in on week one when the schedule comes out, because I just want to make my spreadsheet and start getting ready with my betting picks and my complicated spreadsheets and all that stuff. And I don't really look past week one that much. But the thing that everyone was talking about, which is kind of neat, is this is the first time there's going to be a Friday game in 11 years. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, I didn't see that. Yes. Uh, So in week 16, on Christmas Day, we have a Christmas Day game on Friday. And that is a big rematch from last year, a big NFC matchup, which is Minnesota at the Superdome to face the Saints, the rematch from the playoffs. So that's a big game. I expect ratings to be pretty interesting for that. You think? Right? Yeah. So that's going to be a good one. That was one that really jumped out at me. Uh, I haven't looked at too much uh, else there, but I will certainly agree with you that I know that the last bunch of years, Kansas City and Houston have been two of the bigger name teams in the AFC, but, and obviously Kansas City is the reigning Super Bowl champions. Yeah, 100% there. Everyone wants to watch the Kansas City Chiefs play football, but the Houston Texans, look, they have just, it's been one eight and eight and nine and seven season after another they benefited from playing in a weak division and even then just barely winning it. They keep giving their players away. Nobody wants to play there anymore. Everyone knows Butchin's an idiot. Nobody wants to go there or play for him. And it's just a complete disaster. It's shocking enough that management doesn't realize what an idiot this guy is and how bad <laughs> he has to go, how he's ruining the team, how he's setting the back the franchise many, many years for no reason, just giving guys away and how upset the fans are going to be in Houston. But now, like, the fact that the league and the TV stations don't get it is unbelievable. Well, just think about it this way. Wasn't it? Well, obviously it was. In this last, in the run to Super Bowl 54, Houston was up in Kansas City, like 24 to 7, maybe 24 to nothing. I don't know. It was a, it looked like it could have been an, an ass kicking, and it did turn out to be an ass kicking. But Kansas City woke up and came back and kicked Houston's ass. Look at how much those two, and you just mentioned it. I know that, but 
Just think about how much those two teams have changed since they played just back in January. And how the team that came in with the 32nd overall pick, so the last pick in every round, the Kansas City Chiefs, the descending, defending Super Bowl champions, have gotten better from that awkward drafting position where the Houston Texans are still run by butt chin and they've gotten considerably worse personnel-wise, in my opinion. So, yeah, they for sure have. And then it really sounds like Deshaun Watson wants out. Yeah. Once he goes... There was talk recently about maybe doing a trade, like trading Deshaun Watson for another big-name quarterback. You know, trade him for like a Nick Foles or a someone like that and mm-hmm. just, and you know, get him there. And that would have been interesting. It doesn't look like it's going to happen now, but I don't see Deshaun Watson wanting to play there very badly. I I know, you know, it's 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 really a shame because it is, I think, a good group of fans, and I think they're still grateful for their team that they only got in 2002. And I think that, you know, with the Hurricane and J.J. Watt, that really brought everyone together too. The Houston Texans are a big part of the community, and for them to be such a disappointment and run by such a, an egomaniac is just really inappropriate, frankly, and and it's really disappointing, and it's... And it's pretty sad. It's unbelievable that that's the matchup they came up with. I mean, of all the of all the things they could have come up with, I mean, yes, you want to have Kansas City play in a home game. I get that. But let's look at their schedule. Let's see. Maybe there was nothing better. Let's take a look. I have a hard time believing that, especially <laughs> since just divis- just any divisional matchup would have been better right, right there. And there are a surprising number of divisional matchups in week one. Usually mm-hmm. you see those really backloaded yep. in the season. But it seems like here... Uh, there's there's quite a few in week one. Okay, so here are the home games for the Kansas City Chiefs. Houston, as we know. Okay, the very next one, week four, New England Patriots. Now, I know they're not going to be the same Patriots necessarily, but that's still a big name game. Bill Belichick still on the sidelines. Yeah. How about the, and then the next one, how about the classic matchup against the Raiders? The For the first time, the Las Vegas Raiders, divisional rivals. Raiders-Chiefs is a very, very all-time legendary rivalry no question in the nfl and even in the afl correct you're absolutely right right going back to the oakland raiders and the dallas texans there you go yeah going way back multiple incarnations here uh okay at home to the jets yeah that wouldn't be good to open the season with (laughs) that uh at home to the panthers yeah now that's across the country and it's nfc and they probably will will suck too you get McCaffrey, but okay, that probably wouldn't be the best either. At home to Denver, though, that's a big one. Kansas City and Denver, I think. Uh, although they always like to have Denver in the Monday night second half game, it seems. Uh, at home to Atlanta, big deal. And then at home to the Chargers, which is another big divisional matchup. So, yes, not the best marquee name matchups overall, but I think that any of the divisional games, so Raiders, Broncos, and Chargers all would have certainly been preferable. I personally would rather see Carolina, but that's NFC, and maybe the Patriots as well. So uh, Houston was just a really bizarre choice. There were some options there. Um, What teams do you think were some of the biggest winners with the schedule? I've got a couple here. Um, Obviously, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they signed Tom Brady, and they go from zero to five primetime games. Uh, the Las Vegas Raiders, yes, they lost the right to host the draft because of COVID-19, but the schedule makers gave the Raiders four primetime games at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Mm. Four games primetime in their new digs on the Strip in Las Vegas. Very cool. I think the Ravens have a nice schedule, especially in December, with home games with the Jaguars and the Giants, two wins, 
and on the road in Cincinnati, three wins, that will enable, potentially, if John Harbaugh wants to do this, they'll be able to rest some players if they so wish to do so. And finally, even after their shitty draft, we're not going to talk about it, but the Green Bay Packers still have some cachet within the league because even after that shitty draft, they have five primetime appearances as well. Surprisingly, as I mentioned before, Rodgers, Brady, and Tampa is not one of them. Um, some of the games, or some of the teams, I should say, that were winners with the schedule, if you have that in front of you, let me know what you're thinking there, boss. Sure, yeah. So a lot of people are talking about how the stars just keep aligning for the Dallas Cowboys, and it's just really annoying. The draft, everything went their way. I'm not giving them much credit. It's just magical things right. happened, and it was just gimme pick, so it wasn't that hard. But they've got a pretty doable schedule here. They've got, yeah, they've got to go to Baltimore in December. But other than that, I mean, they're playing obviously their division mates and their their division is just you know so yeah. so weak right it's not the classic nfc east right now they get to play the bengals they get to play um the cleveland browns uh they get to play at the rams week one which actually could be a sneaky one i think that the rams uh, will be ready to go mcveigh's gonna have all summer to prepare for mccarthy and i know who i like in that matchup so <laughs> you know but i mean the the dallas cowboys have a very very doable schedule here uh four of the first six games are at home so they get off to get to be to a nice start here so even you know their toughest game is at baltimore and even if that doesn't go well they're not even in the same conference they could already have a great lead over teams by then so yep. yeah the dallas cowboys to me are are real winners with the schedule um a lot of things i want to get to on this 501st episode of unscripted and obviously we need to talk about the ufc maybe we move that to 502 and then move what we were going to do at 502 to 503 so you can get this out potentially i don't know what you want to do do you oh, want no, no, just, we'll just do ufc now it's easy that, okay that let's do that all right let's do that just, real just, quick just then read, because i do i do want to ask this question though and i'm i'm going to try to start doing this because i'm really intrigued by this i'm going to start having a question of the day and the question of the day here today for for chris and for all of you out there on on our 18 different ways to listen to unscripted with mike and chris i have a question revolving these changes in the national football league and i think it's an interesting question but here it is. I want to pose it before we start talking about UFC 249. Who wins more games this season, folks? The Tampa Bay Buccaneers or the New England Patriots? Boy, that is that honestly, that might be the best question you've ever come up with. Nice job. Thank you. You know what's going to determine that even more to me than how I think Brady and the Bucks are going to be a, a, a disappointment. I think they'll be the Cleveland Browns of this year. Remember how everyone hyped yeah, them? Oh, up? Absolutely. Yeah, I think it'll be the same thing. I'm going to say that the Tampa Bay Bucks finished just outside the playoffs. It's going to come down. Uh, and I, I guess we don't even know what the quarterback situation is in New England. It's so the most bizarre thing. It's I like know. he's just rolling with Stidham and, and uh, Brian Hoyer, but who knows? Anyway, it's going to come down to the New England Patriots defense, because mm -hmm. if you remember last year, they were unbelievable. Now, part of it was the offense was clicking. They were playing against terrible teams like Miami when they just didn't show up at all. And the defense just had an easy time against some terrible competition. But their defense was just unbelievable. One of the top fantasy things you could own was the New England Patriots defense last year, even as much as the best running back for anything. It was just especially early in the year. It was unbelievable. 
if they can somehow have a really dominant defense again, and Belichick just knows this and thinks that, okay, well, I'm just going to train this Stidham to be a game manager, and and that's it. And the New England Patriots, keep in mind, when Brady was there, people never gave seem to give this credit. Belichick has always liked basing the offense around the run game. Correct. Right? And people don't seem to, oh, Brady's, they just act like Brady's just magic and just does everything. They just pound the ball. Yeah, he and then he throws a crossing route, and he's really good at getting those the, the third and short or even those first down 10 or 12-yard crossing routes, whatever. Like, he's so good at all that, and they just they just gradually matriculate the ball down the field as... <laughs> Hank Stram. There you go. Right? They, but they, it's, they gradually do that, and they base it a lot on the running game. And so he can still do that without Brady. And if the defense is anything like last year, then yes, the New England Patriots, I would think, would do better there. Although both teams might have some surprisingly stiff competition, uh, especially with the Bills and Dolphins both looking pretty good there. So that is a really tough question, but I am going to go out on a limb and say the New England Patriots. And I'm, okay. I'm, I am aware that that could look really silly in a few weeks or a few weeks into the season rather but i'm going to go with the patriots there because i like their defense better uh, i like their coaching better and they just have a tradition of winning and even though brady leaving is a big adjustment changing your team completely in tampa is also a big adjustment well and look at it this way i think buffalo's improved and i would be surprised if anybody else besides the buffalo bills are going to be the favorites to win the AFC East this year. Maybe but Miami. But well, you never I think know. I think I still think New England gets to play Miami in the New York Jets, you know, four times and uh I think Flores is a, is a good coach. I think they did a good job at the draft, but they still have to put a lot of different pieces of the puzzle together. And uh that's where the old master Belichick maybe maybe this could be potentially one of the most Difficult, but yet one of the best jobs as the head coach of the New England Patriots that Bill Belichick this upcoming season might be, potentially. If they make the playoffs, I think it's one of the best coaching jobs he's ever done in his long tenure in Boston. If they make it to the playoffs with those two hoodlums at quarterback, I think that if they do make the playoffs, whether it's as a division champion or wild card, it's a great testament to Belichick as a coach if they pull that off this year with those two guys as the potential guys under center for the New England Patriots. It would be for sure. I was quite surprised when the lines opened in Vegas yesterday that the line opened, I already thought this was high, the line opened with New England favored by five and a half points, and then immediately it was up to six and a half points. Yeah, so I mean, all the money was coming in on New England, which shocked me. I thought once Brady was gone, Miami looking good, Flores looking strong, Miami beating New England in Week 17, even That's with right. Brady in there. Boston. Yep. Yeah. So even with all that, I thought that people, I thought, I thought at least the pro, and maybe, maybe I didn't check if this is sharper square money. I don't know. This could just be the public. Just this could just be Boston fans just going crazy. I don't know. Right. But uh, I would be shocked if that was sharp money, but maybe it is. I don't know. But that that surprised me. I thought that I, I think that line is too high based on what we know now. For sure. Um, really interesting to see. And again, all the fun starts Thursday night, September 10th. Unfortunately, the Houston uh, Texans visiting Kansas City to take on the defending Super Bowl champion Chiefs. Let's move on. Big thing. And I've got to give all props to the president of the UFC, Dana White for working his bag off to get this thing up and running. 
all due credit to Dana White. Um, it will be an empty house, but at least he is going to have a really, I think, a very interesting, interesting uh, UFC 249 on Saturday night in Jacksonville, Florida. Again, President Dana White is hyping a can't-miss event, and I ask our resident UFC expert, Mr. Fluke, what are you looking for from UFC 249 Saturday night from Northeast Florida? Well, I mean, the easy answer there is the main event, but we'll get to that in just a second here. This is, from a name-value perspective, especially quantitatively, in terms of just pure numbers of fights where you know the guys in them, I, I think this is probably unprecedented, and he's just... Really? Oh, yeah. Like, he's he, loaded this card up Yeah, then. like, I mean, usually, especially if it's not a bigger event, you might know the guys in the main event, maybe one or two other fights. I'm talking about kind of the average to... The casual to the slightly more hardcore fan, uh, you probably won't know. Like, usually the first two matches on the card, you might know one of the guys. Maybe you know both, but often you won't know them. I won't even know them a lot of the time. And now on this one, it's like, never mind the main card. I mean, the preliminary card. You've got Donald Cowboy Cerrone against Showtime Anthony Pettis as the ending, I guess the main event, you could say, of the preliminary matches. Oh, my. Which is crazy. You've got Verdum. Fabricio Verdum on the preliminary card. You've got uh, Uriah Hall on the uh, preliminary card. It's amazing, right? So then you get on to the main card, and it starts with a heavyweight matchup with former NFL player and wife beater Greg Hardy. (laughs) And uh, so he's on the card. I mean, he's a big name, if nothing else. Uh, you've got uh, Calvin Cutter there against Jeremy Lil Heathen Stevens, who apparently missed weight for the millionth time. So that's hilarious. And then you've got your buddy that you wish was a, a defensive end for the Green Bay Packers, Mr. Nganu. Oh, yeah. Against, Love that guy. Yeah, against Rosenstruck. That should be a great fight. Uh, in the co-main or semi-main, whatever you want to call it, bantamweight, you've got Henry Cejudo against Dominic Cruz, which should just be a fantastic fight, potentially. I mean, that has great fight written all over it. And then, of course, in the main event, you've got Tony Ferguson against uh, Justin Gaethje, who are, you know, maybe the two most exciting fighters you can get, two of the toughest guys. Justin Gaethje comes in at 21-2. and two. His two losses are both to big names. And he is the epitome more than anyone I've ever seen in any sport, even boxing or anything. His plan is just one of us is getting knocked out and that's it. Like I, I'd rather, he would rather get knocked out than kind of have a crappy little win. Like I think I honestly believe that he's, he literally swings for the fences every time. And he just, he just wants the fight to end in a knockout either way. And usually it's to his favor. I am predicting he will lose, though, to Tony Ferguson, who's 25 and 3, hasn't lost in seven years or whatever. And, of course, this is all setting up Tony Ferguson against Habib. Oh, I was just going to say, does, the, does Habib get the winner of ferguson Gathji? That's my question. That's the plan, certainly. Uh, if it wasn't for COVID, this would be Tony Ferguson against Habib for sure. And so this is just uh, kind of kind of to kill time. They may have like Dana's still planning on doing Fight Island, which I was disappointed to find out is not a permanent thing. It's just some it's going to all its trouble to have this mm-hmm. island in international waters just for the COVID thing, which is already almost ending. I don't know what's going on. I thought he was going to make this cool yeah. thing he was going to have permanently, and you'd have these cool fights happening with the ocean in the background or something. But no, uh, Tony Ferguson against uh, Tony Ferguson against Justin Gaethje. 
anyone who fights these two guys basically ends up when you see pictures of them after they look like they got murdered. Mm-hmm. Like it's just yeah, these guys are as tough as they come. These guys are two gamers and they are going to put on a show and I know we say it a lot where, okay, this fight should be good or this fight should be exciting. And then sometimes they let you down. I don't see a way. <laughs> I, I mean, this fight can't be boring. Like these two guys don't do that. Right. I mean, some guy, like one time when it was, I think it was Stipe against Nganu, I think is who it was. And I was saying like, oh, this fight's going to be crazy and then and that's the one where uh, Stipe just outthought him yes exactly and so Stipe, I remember that yeah exactly you're right I was on your couch watching yes. it yes good memory right so so in that one yeah Stipe used it to his advantage because he's a smart tactician and that's great and 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 all the credit to him for that and I'm not saying that Gaethje and Ferguson can't game plan for their opponent but I just don't see them ever doing that even if they thought they could outsmart them completely if it involves them not doing much. Mm-hmm. I just, I just don't see them doing. That. I don't think they can do that and be true to themselves. I think they're going to come out there swinging and trying. And they, and they have. I don't think they have any personal problem with each other at all. They just, you know, love the sport and everything. But I think they're going to go out there and just balls out all the time because these two guys don't know another way to be. Let me ask you. I, we've got a couple minutes, and and um, I think these are two pertinent questions. Do you think because of we've all been locked up basically for two months because of COVID-19 and we've, we have an unbelievable insatiable appetite right now as sports fans, this, do you think this could be one of the highest pay-per-views ever just because there's a lot of us dying for competition out there. And, and this seems from what you're talking about, this seems to be a really good fight card. Do you think this could be potentially one of the highest pay-per-view events ever? The only reason that I would say that it wouldn't potentially is because a lot of that revenue comes from bars. Got it. Right? So now, if you're talking just on a per-household basis, yes, absolutely. This should be even higher than normal because of all that. And because some of those guys that would go to the bar, then you add that on too, and then that makes that much at home. But uh, so much of it is the bars. So I don't know offhand the breakdown of that. That's just a thought I have that obviously that's going to be a factor. So that's going to throw in a lot of variables, but on a per household basis, I think there would be people that are so hungry for sports here. And uh, especially to see a loaded card like this, I really like what's, what Dana's doing. What he's planning on doing in the near future is potentially having Conor McGregor fight on one of these empty arena shows. And he's saying he's like, this kills me. Well, that was his direct quote. Sure. He said, he's like, Conor McGregor brings in $20 million live gates. Right. I mean, that's that's a lot to risk. But I mean, you know, apparently Conor's in shape and ready to go. And, uh, and I mean, you're going to obviously get a lot of pay-per-view buys still. For sure. But I know that he's, I think he's probably hoping, well, I know he's for sure hoping that maybe by the time Conor's ready to go, uh, officially that they have a fight lined up and signed that they can have some crowds. And again, they can at least have some here, maybe even if you have 25% capacity allowed. Right. Maybe in that situation, if Connor's on the card, maybe you can really jack, and people are so desperate to go, maybe you can really jack ticket prices. For and, sure. And cool. maybe make it so it's similar. So I, I think we're going to see something like that. By the time Connor's uh, totally locked in, I think it's going to be where we'll get some sort of live gate receipts there. Real quick before we get out of here, I've been just dying to ask you this question and and uh, I will and and I know you're at least familiar with the golden boy the boxer Oscar De La Hoya 
who came out earlier this week and says that he would kick the hell out of Conor McGregor if he got him into a boxing ring. Agree or disagree? I don't think he's, I don't think, first of all, regardless of what your answer, I don't think anybody's kicking the hell out of Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor may not win the fight. And first of all, Oscar De La Hoya is way past his prime. I mean, he's been in trouble for a whole bunch of different shit, and he's just trying to get an audience to see Golden Boy Productions again. I think this is a cheap marketing thing by Oscar De La Hoya. But having said all that, I don't think anybody, you know, you know what I mean by kicks the hell out of Conor McGregor. I don't think that, I don't think that happens by anybody. I mean, Floyd Mayweather beat him, but I don't think he kicked the hell out of him. I don't think Oscar De La Hoya kicks Conor McGregor's ass in an octagon, in a boxing ring, on a street fight, in an alley. I don't think Oscar De La Hoya kicks Conor McGregor's ass anywhere. Yeah, I, well, I mean, let's look at the reason for the statement. Clearly, it's because, yes, uh, Golden Boy Productions hasn't been anything special for a long time, I don't think. And he tried to venture into the world of MMA as an MMA promoter. And right. in fairness, now, I did, I did hear that for the people that were on the card, I heard that it was, uh, you know, quite well done and everything. And so that's great. But he it wasn't successful in the end. Right. And so, yeah, clearly he's doing this for some publicity. And I mean, he, I'm sure he'd love to step in the ring with Conor McGregor and make a ton of money. Yeah. And that's fine. Uh, I mean, I don't know enough about how he is in shape and everything like that. Floyd Mayweather was never going to however he worded it, uh, however Oscar worded it there. Kick the hell out of Kick the hell out of uh, Conor McGregor because that's not what Floyd Mayweather does. He's a tactician. Floyd Mayweather is the ultimate tactician and the ultimate defensive boxer, and he will just just make it so that you can't win, essentially. He will just drag you down to the deep water and then drown you. Um, Oscar De La Hoya, he's probably too old to do too much, and yeah, I don't think he would just beat his ass. I would imagine, and again, I don't know how much he slowed down in his old age here, but I would imagine that it, purely on points, I could see Oscar De La Hoya certainly winning. I am always extremely reluctant to take an MMA fighter against a boxer and take the one that is not in their pure element. And I know Conor McGregor has trained purely for boxing and put up a surprisingly good showing against Floyd Mayweather and, no, and nothing bad about Conor at all, but... I will pretty much, unless unless we found out, you know, Oscar De La Hoya, we saw footage where he's really slow and really old and just can't do anything and couldn't yeah. beat anybody, right. maybe then. But other than that, if an MMA fighter faces a boxer, if it's boxing, I'm taking the boxer. If it's MMA, I'm taking the MMA guy. And that's it. And it's, it's really simple. The thought of the other guy winning is almost unheard of unless the guy has deteriorated to such a degree that he's basically useless. Real quick, I just there's so many things to talk about today, and later on in one of our episodes this week, we are going to have a. <laughs> I'm so looking forward to this. Uh, we are going to be. I was walking around yesterday. I did 18,000 steps yesterday, which is almost nine kilometers, and I was listening to episodes 311 and 312 of Unscripted, and we had a douchebag day. And we were talking about, in episode 311, about doing a dead douchebag day. That long ago? It's been that long. Wow. So today we're doing dead douchebags. Later on today, I'm looking forward to that. But we do have some breaking news real quick that I forgot to talk about. Philip Rivers has a new job. And it's not his one-year deal as the new 
quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts. He has a post-career profession now. We know when Drew Brees decides to hang him up, he's going to NBC to be in the booth, hopefully with Mike Tirico on NBC's uh, Sunday Night Football. We know about that. But Philip Rivers today was announced, and I don't know the name of the fucking school, but he was named as a high school coach in the state of Alabama. Whenever he decides to hang up his professional shoes, he's going to become the coach of this private high school in Alabama, just like his father was back in the day. Philip Rivers has taken the job as a head football coach at this Catholic school, Catholic private school in the state of Alabama. And as soon as he decides to hang him up from the National Football League, whether it's after this year in Indianapolis or another year in Indianapolis, whatever, the athletic director will work as the interim head coach until Philip Rivers decides to hang him up and become the new head football coach at this Catholic school in Alabama. Well, at least he's not endorsing condoms. This is true. This is true. We aim to report the news and make a cute comment on the sub, uh, above-mentioned <laughs> news of the day. We've got to run on this 501st episode of Unscripted. We're now in our, you know, the uh, back nine to our goal of 1,000 uh, unscripted episodes. And again, we thank everybody for participating in what we thought was a very successful 500th episode of Unscripted. Enjoyed it and hope that you do as well. As for episode 501, we'll put a wrap on this one and get to the rest of the work that we need to get to this week. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.